Hey everybody, this is Keith Loy. I'm the founding senior pastor of Celebrate Church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and this is our podcast. I just want to say thank you for joining us, and it is my prayer that this week's message will truly encourage you. Enjoy. I read about a man who had lost his way. I really love this story. And he ran into a mute man, a man who couldn't speak, and he asked him for guidance. Of course, the mute did his best to make it clear by signing with his hands that he would direct the stranger if he was willing to pay him a handsome fee for doing so. Of course, the man was more than happy to pay because he wanted to find his way. But immediately, when he handed him the cash, the mute man began to speak in an audible voice. But I thought you couldn't speak, said the man. How can you shame such a handicap? Now listen to what the man said. He said, well, as I see it today, Only money talks. Man, there's a lot of truth in that. In fact, if money could talk, I wonder what it would say. Let me offer some thoughts. Is that okay? If money could talk, I think it would say, you know, you hold me in your hand and you call me yours, yet may I not as well call you mine? See how easily I rule you? To gain me, you would all but die. I am invaluable as rain, essential as water. Without me, men and institutions would die. Yet I do not hold the power of life for them. I am futile without their stamp of approval. I go nowhere unless you send me. Oh, I keep strange company. For me, men mock, men love, and men scorn character. Yet I am appointed to the service of saints to give education to the growing of minds and food to the starving bodies of the poor. My power is terrific. So may I encourage you, handle me carefully and wisely, lest you become my servant rather than I yours. I think that's what money would say. I think everything it just said is an absolute truth. Money, it's crazy, isn't it? It's absolutely crazy. I mean, I believe it can be one of the most formidable of gifts or it can be one of the most harmful of gods. Of course, we get to choose, don't we? Now, I know that some of you have experienced some difficulty when it comes to your finances and probably even maybe more now with this virus for the last many of months. But I want to tell you something and I want you to listen to this carefully. Tithing is the starting point to financial health. Now, let me say it again. Tithing is the starting point to financial health. It's not something we learn to do midstream. It's not something we have as a last resort or something we decide to do when we think we can afford to do it. Tithing is the starting point to financial health because when you start with this here to God, not here, okay, in your heart, I I guarantee you, you ready for this? I guarantee you, when you start here, everything here will always work out. That's right. That's right. But when you start here, it's crazy. There's never enough. Have you not figured that out yet? Tithing is the starting point. We say it all the time. God's work done God's way never lacks God's support, God's support. Now listen, listen very carefully. Success in life is learning to make one decision and then learn to manage that one decision each and every day. Let me help you. For example, success in marriage is making one decision and that decision is that it's for life then you learn to manage that one decision each and every day to follow. And the same is true when it comes to your money. You make the decision to tie that one decision, and then you learn to manage that one decision each and every day. Now I say that to give you one key truth. Here's something I've learned. A lot of life does not actually end bad. It just started wrong. Mm Right. And I see it over and over and over again. So I'm not going to teach about tithing 
okay? I'm gonna trust that you're gonna make that one decision. What I wanna do is I wanna show you how to manage it each and every day to follow. Are you with me on it? So have your Bibles, I want you to go to James chapter five. And if this is your first time joining us, I want you to know that we've been going through the book of James uh, verse by verse in in a series I've entitled, Developing a Mature Faith. Developing a Mature Faith. How do we have a faith that's truly, really deep in God and then it's lived out the way it's supposed to be lived out? And so we're looking at James chapter five. We're gonna begin in the very first verse, but before we jump in, I want to write a wrong assumption. <laughs> I love oxymoronic things, okay, <laughs> statements. I want to write a wrong assumption. And here's the wrong assumption. You ready for this? It's wrong to be wealthy. That is a wrong assumption. And yet I hear Christians say it over and over again. I wonder the reason they say that is because they're more jealous and envious than they are actually being scriptural. Because the Bible doesn't say money is the root of all evil. It doesn't say that. It's not in there. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. When we put our treasure here, okay, and not put our treasure here in God's hands, that's the sin. It's the love of money. Over and over in the Bible, there are many, many wealthy people. God's not opposed, if you will, to wealth. He's a proponent of health. But but what do you do with Abraham and, and Job and David and Solomon and Barnabas? God's not opposed to wealth. He's opposed when we misuse it and abuse it. And that's what James is going to help us with. So if you got your Bibles, James chapter 5. James chapter 5, and we're going to begin in the very first verse. Look what it says. Look here, you rich people. (laughs) Listen up, he says. Weep and groan with anguish because of all the terrible troubles ahead of you. Now, don't, don't write me off here and don't write James off because it almost appears that God is opposing wealthy people, but he's not. Look what he says. Your wealth is rotting away and your fine clothes are moth-eaten rags. Your gold and silver are corroded. The very wealth you were counting on will eat away your flesh like fire. This corroded treasure you have hoarded will testify against you on the day of judgment. For listen, hear the cries of the field workers whom you have cheated of their pay. The cries of those who harvest your fields have reached the ears of the Lord of heaven's armies. You have spent your years on earth in luxury satisfying your every desire. You have fattened yourself for the day of slaughter. You have condemned and killed innocent people who do not resist you. Now, I want to help you with this because those are powerful words. And and if we don't really unpack them, they can be quite (laughs) guilt-ridden. I mean, you might want to go away going, oh my goodness, I'm supposed to live under the bridge at a van down by the river. Okay? I, I mean, you almost read it that way. But that's not what James is saying. James is going to give us four common mistakes that happen when it comes to wealth. Okay? Here's the first one. The first common mistake that we make when it comes to wealth is when we hoard it. When we hoard it. Look at verse 3. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Now, listen to this very carefully. This is a key principle. God gave us financing to circulate, not accumulate. Okay? Imagine if we did that with our blood. All we ever did was accumulate it, not circulate it. Okay, that would be called death. That's what happens. What James is saying is whatever you accumulate will eventually deteriorate. That's what he's getting at. Your wealth has rotted, he says. Moss have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. See, time affects everything, does it not? It just does. To have and not use, James is saying, what's the point? You see, when God gives us wealth, he wants it to circulate. He wants to do something eternal with it. Because we said it last week, none of us know the day that we're going to die. 
We could stockpile all kinds of riches. And then what happens when we die? It goes into someone else's pockets. What James is trying to help us with is you get to determine whose pockets. So you do your giving while you're living. Then you're knowing where it's going. You see how that works? James says common mistake. You hoard it. Here's the second common mistake. When we unfairly get it. Verse 4 says what? The wages you have failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. See, here's a history lesson you need to know. In New Testament times, they didn't have contracts, labor unions, laws to protect workers. In fact, the boss who hired you for that day could rip you off and withhold what he promised to pay you. That's what James is criticizing. What he is saying is this, dishonest gain can never be divinely blessed. Now, let me say it again. Dishonest gain, even if you did it 10 years ago, cannot be divinely blessed. God cares how you get money. God cares about that. Thus, if you're selling your car, you don't make it out to be the best deal on wheels when you know there's some, something wrong with it. You don't cheat on your taxes Okay? You don't lean on your shovel. You don't disvalue your workplace's time. In other words, I wonder how many people sit at their desk and they do a bunch of texting that has nothing to do with the work that they're being paid for. That's dishonest. God can't bless it. That's what James is criticizing. You're unfairly getting paid. Here's the third common mistake. When enough is never enough. Wow. Look at verse 5. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. Now, let's just be honest. In this country, we buy because we think we deserve it, even if we can't afford it. Isn't that fair? Here's a key principle you might want to write down. Not every ought should be bought. Oh, I ought to have that. Well, you may ought to have it. Just don't buy it. That's what James is getting at. In fact, James likens it to a pig. Think about this. You have fattened yourself for the slaughter. All you do is just eat and eat and eat when it comes to your finances. You're always taking. I just always like to say this. When is enough enough? When is really enough enough? Let me help you with it a couple of rule of thumbs for me. If it's the object of most of your conversations, enough has probably been enough. Like if you're always talking about what you bought, not about who blessed you with that ability. Here's another one for me. If your insurance is never enough to cover it, in other words, when someone borrows it, you're freaked out and you want to make sure, okay, if, if something happens to it, if that's where your concerns and worries are, your riches are on earth, not in heaven. You follow how that works? See, that's a common mistake. Here's the fourth common mistake that James tells us. When its privilege becomes your leverage. When its privilege becomes your leverage. Let me help you with that. Verse 6 says, you have condemned and ruined innocent men, and they are powerless to stop you. Now, there's a book out called Money, Sex, and Power. It's by Richard Foster. Here's what he says. When you have money, it gives you influence and authority. Thus, use it wisely. Now, here's what Foster and James is getting at. Money is not a weapon or a power of control. In other words, it doesn't exist for you to look down on people when you have, nor does it exist that when you give it, you expect special treatment. See, that's a mistake when it's privilege is now used as leverage. You see how that works? It's a very common mistake. So 
What does the Bible say is the right use of wealth? Now, before we get into it, talk to me. What's going through your mind up to this point? I, I appreciate that we're having the conversation uh, because a lot of times people think that, that money changes you. Man, I, I don't ever become successful because money changes you. And I remember a guy saying this, and I think it's so true. Money never changes us. It just magnifies what we already are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so if I'm, if, if I'm uh, a giving person, I have, if I have more money, I'll give more. God meant it for us to use it as a blessing. Most people never get that. For me, I think of the word peace. Like the word peace has been going through my head. Like all of these things are these common mistakes. I mean, I've been guilty of all these at some point in time. But, but when, you, when you make these mistakes, there's a, there's a peace that you don't have. You know, when, you, when you're obedient to God and you, you start out, you, like you say, and you start, you start things the right way, there's a peace that you have. You know, there's things that happen but there's a peace throughout it. It's never, it never really ends bad. There's peace throughout. It's amazing how you can have all these things with $10 or a million dollars, it doesn't matter. We like to look at other people, but it doesn't matter what it is. All these things I can be doing in my life with whatever amount of money I have, whatever thing I have. A lot of times people, to, you know, whatever we think about is the key. And there's a lot of people who have very little money, but they think about it all the time. Well, that's, uh, that's their God because all they think about is money. Do I have enough? Do I have enough kind of thing? No, so God is what we should be thinking about. Our relationship with Him, He'll take care of everything else. So, absolutely right. So what does the Bible say is the right use of money? Now, I want you to catch this. It's okay to make money. There's just a biblical use and a right healthy way to use it. Does that make sense? It's not about whether you have a million or $10. It's about what you do with what God blessed you with. So what does the Bible say is the right use of wealth? Here's the first right use of wealth. How should we have it? How should we have it? Proverbs 21.20 says this, The wise man saves for the future, but the foolish man spends whatever he gets. Now, the wise man saves for the future. Now, that almost seems that I contradict everything I just said at this point, but it's not. Because as a godly person, where's the future? Is it here or is it in heaven? The godly, the wise man saves for the future. Isn't that what Jesus said? Jesus said what? Put not your treasures here on earth but your treasures in heaven. But the foolish man spends whatever he gets on temporal things. It kind of changes the verse, doesn't it? Thus, if we're going to develop a mature understanding when it comes to money, let me give you a couple key principles here, okay? We have to learn to live on less than what we make. We have to learn to live on less than what we make. It's called margin. See, This, if you will, this is the facing the reality of what is need and what is greed. That's what's going on here. You know, they tell us that the average credit card debt per household in the United States of America, the average, if you will, credit card debt average, $9,333. That's a problem. That's not learning to live on less than what we make. Anytime there's a balance on a credit card, it's because you're living on more than what you make. Unfortunately, you're going to have to pay it back and it's going to cost you more than you ever thought. You know, John D. Rockefeller said, tithe 10%, save 10%, live on 80%. Now, when my wife and I turned everything around in our lives, This right here was the key principle, 80% rule. In other words, when I got paid, I figured out what was 80% of that. That's all I wrote, if you will, in a way, in my checkbook, at least in my heart and mind. The other didn't exist. Someone always said, you pay God, pay yourself, and then you live. And that's what we began to do. And it changed everything. Sure, we had to size down a little bit a lot of ways that we were living, 
but our lives began to change. So you learn to live on less than what you make. But here's the second key. Learn to like the less more than your want. Now let me say it again. You learn to live on less than you make. You learn to like the less that you make more than you want. That's called contentment. It's called contentment. Someone once said, use it up, wear it out, make it do or do without. I like that. See, here's the deal. Here's what I've learned. If you cannot be grateful for what you got, you will never see the hand in God in what you get. Contentment is the key to gratitude. Do you know why there's so little gratitude in the world today? Greed. I want to read you out of 1 Timothy. Here's what it says. 1 Timothy 6, beginning in verse 6. True godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. In fact, you can't have godliness without contentment. And you can't have contentment without godliness. After all, here's what Paul writes to Timothy, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. What is he saying? You know how blessed you are? The fact that you have breath in your lungs? Everything you got was because God gave it to you. That's what he's saying. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. Let us be content. But then he adds this, but people who long to be rich, there's that love. Wherever your heart is, there your treasure will be also. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. And then that verse we talked about, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. There it is. Learning to live on less than we make and then learning to like the less we make more than our wants and everything will change. Here's the second right use of wealth, the biblical good use, God use of wealth. How should we get it? Okay. Now, I think there's way too much of this in our world. and not enough of just hard work. There's too much of hands out rather than just hard work. People looking over and over. Now, listen to what he says, and this is gonna, this is gonna rub if you're wrong, but I want you to listen. Proverbs 13, 11 says, wealth from gambling quickly disappears. Wealth from hard work grows. Now, did you know that Americans lost, ready for this? Americans lost $117 billion in 2016 just in gambling. Now, you ready for this? In 2017, Americans spent $73 billion on lottery tickets. Wow. Can I just offer, if you want to gamble with your money, can I offer an, a thought? Put it in the offering. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm here to tell you, I guarantee the return, the return possibilities, okay, are incredibly higher and eternally endless than anything you'll ever find at Flandreau. I mean, someone once said, I went to Flandreau and my money flew away, okay? <laughs> you gotta stop that. You see, what matters to God is not just how much money you have, but how you make it. We talked about that just a moment ago, a common mistake. So I'm gonna give you four qualifications in how to make all the money you want. I'm gonna give you four biblical qualifications that you can make all the money you want as long as you follow these qualifications. You ready for this? I got to tell you, I think everybody's excited, right? Absolutely. Make all the money you want as long as it doesn't hurt your health. That's the first one. 
Wealth and health matter to God. Proverbs 23 verse 4 says this, Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. And yet, how many people do we know who have literally worked themselves to death? All their lives, they beat their bodies to nothing. And they made this incredible nest egg. And now the nest egg is to take care of the body they beat up. That alone doesn't make sense. How about the emotional, the spiritual cost? Make all the money you want as long as it does not hurt your health. Man, let me give you a key principle. Never put your personal riches before God's call to righteousness. And you'll be fine. And you'll be fine. And one of those physically is my body's a temple. Take care of the temple. Talk to me. What's going through your mind up at this point? It's almost like you're preaching to me. (laughs) Um, I have that problem. I work sometimes, and a lot of times, I work a lot, and I'm focused on things, helping others, you know, doing things um, to get to complete tasks, and yet I don't focus on my own self. I've lost weight because of just working so much, and it's kind of odd thing to say, but it's, you know, it's not eating enough. Um, just <clears throat> trying to finish something before I eat. Well, sometimes things take longer than you expect, and then it's like you don't, you haven't, you've, so you've already missed a couple meals, you know? So, and it's not because I can't, it's just, it's, it's the lack of discipline. And so it's, it's something that needs to be, I mean, we have to think about it. Our body is a temple. And <clears throat> my parents say to me, it's like, you can't help. Your, your value is lost when you die because if you're, not, if you're not alive, then how can you help others? Or how can you do the things that you're saying that you're trying to do? Um, so I do have to focus on that. Um, and it's, it's a hard, it's a constant battle for my, myself just to eat normally um, because, you know, I just, I'm always just going and going and doing stuff, you know, so. Let me respond to that. And I appreciate your vulnerability. Manny, that means so much. But I think it's important, a key principle, your valuables are not your assets, okay? Your assets are your valuables. Now, let me explain that. Too often, we say this is our asset, right? Mm -mm. God created for relationships. Okay, your greatest assets is your ability to love other people. That's your value. And yet when we get so enamored by making this, there's always a sacrifice in this, isn't there? And God says, don't do it. Don't do it. Okay, you can't buy friends. But friendships, oh my goodness, what greater investment is there than that? And so it's an important important moment that, that we need to understand. We think the answer is more. The answer to everything is just more of it. I appreciate the comment about contentment because you know, the whole aspect of, of if I can be, if I can like slim things down or have less, it actually means more for others. So for example, it hit me when you put the $100 bill up there. So what if I could, what if I could go buy on less finances so that for example, World Hope, we just were having children be sponsored. Man, for $40 a month to take care of a child, I could do less, I could, I could love having less so that they can have more. And that's what, when joy and contentment really comes in, that I'm willing, I want to do less because that means more for that person over there in that way. So that's what I thought of immediately when you said that. One of the hardest things for me is just comparison. You know, you're talking about um, need versus greed and contentment. That comparison is just such, such a difficult thing. If it was just me and my house and and that's it, I'd be perfectly content. But as soon as I see her house and her stuff, it's like, well, I think I need this. <laughs> Changes. So make all the money you want, just as long as it first, okay, doesn't hurt your health. But here's number two. Make all the money you want as long as it does not hurt your family 
or those you love. I read this poem. He always said he'd retire when he had made a million clear. And so he toiled in the dust from day to day, from year to year. At last, he put his ledger up and laid his stock report aside. And when he started to go out to live, he realized he just died. Like, wow. How many things have we missed when it comes to those that we love because we are more focused on this. How many times have people said, one of these days when our ship comes in and the ship's already gone out. One of these days. One of these days what? One of these days they're grown. You can't stop time. And you can never buy it back. The greatest investment isn't that you can give them things. The greatest investment is that you can give them yourself. That's what they want. That's the greatest investment. So make all you want, just as long as it doesn't hurt your health, just as long as it doesn't hurt your family. Here's number three. Make all you want as long as it does not hurt others. Proverbs 21.20 says, A fortune can be made from cheating, but there's a curse that goes with it. Now, I'm not going to say much to this except the Bible is very clear. You will reap what you sow. And here, here's the sickness for me. How many people have cheated others and hurt others? And it goes undetected in some ways. And they think when they get to heaven, God has amnesia. It is amazing to me how many people think they can hide the now and get away with it later. It won't work that way. I will say it, dishonest gain can never be divinely blessed. It will not. God doesn't let it just go away. By the way, isn't it crazy that when God met Zacchaeus, do you remember what Zacchaeus said? I will pay back everyone I wronged four times the amount in which I took. See, that's a right heart. That's a right heart. And so, again, okay, when it comes to making all you want, make all you want. The Bible says it's okay. Just don't let it hurt your health. Don't let it hurt your family, those you love. Do not let it hurt others, okay? Make all you want as long as your spiritual life is on the same level. Now, most people don't know this is in the Bible. Beloved, I love those words, beloved, I wish that you may prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. That's, that's John's prayer. I wish that you would prosper. Just make sure your spiritual life is prospering along with it. Because I always say this, whatever you give your attention to has you. And so it's okay to make all of this that you want as long as your spiritual life is growing at the same rate or better. Because whatever has your attention will have you. Does that make sense? You know, I've heard people say that money's the world's curse. And I'm, I'm the pastor that says, then God smite me with it. <laughs> because I, I would love to be worth millions. I would love to be able to set on Shark Tank. With my love for the Lord, my love for people, oh, the people I could bless and the fun I could have with that. I would love that. But you have to keep those in check. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So make all the money you want. Just make sure you have those four qualifications going for you. Okay, here's the third right use of wealth. How should we spend it? Because we all know it's a lot easier to go in debt than it is to get out of it, true? Okay. By the way, I always say this, the advertising world does not lie. I've heard people say, oh, they just keep lying to us. They don't lie to you. They speak the truth. What do they say? Buy now, pay later. Yeah. And we do. <laughs> Boy, do we pay later. More, more later. I always love that. You know, 60 easy payments. Has anybody ever made a payment and thought, well, that was easy? Okay, <laughs> I, I've never, all right, thought it was easy. 
But they're not lying to you. Buy now, pay later. And we do. Proverbs 21.5, listen to what it says. The plans of the diligent lead to profit. As sure as haste leads to poverty. Let me read that again. The plans of the diligent lead to profit. As sure as haste leads to poverty. So how do you spell relief? Now, this is important. Don't miss this, okay? It's six letters. Budget. Budget. Do you know what a budget is? It's telling your money where you want it to go rather than wondering, where did it go? That's what a budget does. A budget is you controlling your money, not your money controlling you. Proverbs 27, verse 23, here's what it says. Riches can disappear fast, so watch your business interests closely. I will tell you that, that I weekly, because I set spiritual goals, I talked about that, and I set physical, financial goals, and I look at them weekly. I want to know where my money's going. I want to make sure that I'm staying on spiritual track with it. That is a weekly endeavor for me. I set aside time. It is in my schedule. So when someone calls and says, hey, can we hook up? I'm like, nope, I already have something scheduled. It's that important to me. I never make the assumption. I am very ruthless about this. A budget is so important. You tell your money. That's what wisdom does. It tells my money, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you how I'm going to spend you rather than it telling me. We have one credit card in our household and it is paid off before I spend it. We just went on a trip and I took and managed what that trip would probably cost us and I wrote the check, set it aside before we even used the credit card. It's such an important thing that we learn to do. You have to learn the right use. How am I going to spend my money? We have to set up a budget. Talk to me. What's going on? I love what you're teaching. So many people, their lives would be changed if they would just apply the principles to it. You, know, you talk about that society wants your money. And we were laughing about it earlier. The fact that the biggest advertisement now is, you know, buy now, pay later. But you need nothing down. You know, nothing down. And Pearson goes, I got nothing. I qualify. Well, the reality is there's a reason you got nothing. And you'll keep having nothing if you buy into that. Because you don't do what you just said. You don't budget it and say, nope, it's not in the budget. I don't care how much we want it, need it, think it, and nope, we don't have it, so not going to do it. If, if you can do that, God will honor. But when you don't, it just will go and everybody else will take your money. So that's great principles. We all need accountability in our lives for things. And I would say for us, having the budget, it's, it's our accountability. It helps us be able to say yes or no to things. So it's, 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 our, it's our accountability. And keeping track of it helps too. You know, like you said, making specific time to just go through everything and see how you're doing with the budget and, you know, we didn't always do that. And so it works a lot better doing that. You know, from a young age, my mom brought me up doing the envelope system because I did a shopper paper route as a child. And the older we got, the more money we made, well, the more papers we delivered, we had to start paying for things like contacts, car insurance, gas. And so I learned from a really early age that budgeting, like you're gonna put money away for things eventually. But also, like, if an emergency came up, like, I could borrow from myself. Like, I could go into those funds and just make sure I had enough within the next paycheck if I needed it earlier or later. And so I didn't ever come into a situation where I'm like, oh, crap, I don't have money for this. But, like, it was really cool. And, I mean, even from a young age, we were taught to tithe. And, and so that's never been something I've not done, which has been a really blessing because it's just been, like, there's no... Um, there's nothing that's like, oh, I'm not going to tie it this month because I don't have money. It's always been the forefront of my parents. And so even now. Explain to our listeners the envelope system, because I think it's a brilliant, okay, a brilliant way to learn how to budget. Um, so you 
get envelopes for everything that you're wanting, needing to pay. So it can be your bills, break everyone up if you want or lump them together and I put, I wrote on the envelope like bills or like electrical or car. When I was a child, it was different sports camps. So pole vault camp, um, volleyball camp, you know, uh, my dance costumes I had to pay for. So each of them, and I had to figure out by the end, by a certain time, how much money I needed. So how much I would put in each month for that. And so and that came out of my paycheck. And then sometimes I had leftovers and that could be my spending, or maybe I chose more, like I wanted to save up my money for something special, then I could start putting that stuff away too. So it like really, so I was able to tell my money where to go and I had cash and like they say, you know, you don't spend cash as much as you do a card. And so it really helped me know the value of money and where my money was going. And um, it helped me um, I when I was trying to be a pole vaulter, <laughs> professional pole vaulter, and I was um, not being able to pay back my loans and I just sat down and I had a budget and I did it more online. Now Dave Ramsey has an app that kind of, you can do that envelope system. And I was able to pay off like $2,000 in a year and a half of debt just because I like buckled down and, and decided I wouldn't spend over a certain amount of money on bills, car loan, car payment, rent, food. And then anything else, I just phew, straight to the loan. So, cause that was my goal. That was like paying that off. So and maybe you know $20 to spend on fast food here and there. <laughs> that is a brilliant piece of wisdom and I hope that you were listening to that. And so let's talk about the final right use of money. We talked about uh, how to, if you will, how do we have it? How do we uh, get it? How do we spend it? Well, here's the fourth one. How should we invest it? Now Proverbs 11 verse 24 through 25 says this, it is possible to give away and become richer. I like those words. It is possible to give away and become richer. It is also possible to hold on too tightly and lose everything. Yes, here's what he says. The generous man shall be rich. By watering others, he waters himself. I mean, did you know there are more promises in the Bible about giving than any other subject? That's who God is, for God so loved the world that he gave. In fact, so much that he gave, he gave himself. It's an amazing thing. Money has the greatest potential to replace God in our lives. Nothing, I think, can quickly, more quickly, replace God than money. When Jesus is your master, listen this carefully, when Jesus is your master, money will serve you. But when money is your master, you will serve it. That I've learned over and over. Wealth is not a sin. I just told you a little bit ago, make all that you want, okay? But failing to use it for God's glory is a sin. It is a sin. And it will be a sin that we will be accountable for. Servants of God, followers of God, are always more concerned about ministry than they are money. That is an absolute fact. And so there's a key principle that I just love. In order to live abundantly, I must give abundantly. Here's God's math. 90%, because we give 10% to the Lord, 90% with God always equals way more than 100% without Him. 90%, when I give 10% to God, it is always way more than if I just hold on to it for myself. It's crazy how God works. By the way, the root of miserable is miser. <laughs> every, every miser that does this, I gotta tell you, they're just miserable. I have never met a happy miser. <laughs> it's, it's just not. It's crazy. I don't know if you know this church, but I want, I want to be a giving church. See, I, I want to be a church that just ties. Everybody just ties. Why? God said it. We just do it. We just do that. We make that one decision. And then I've just given you the instructions 
of how to every day, each and every day, manage that one decision. And so I want to be that church. And, and last week, we had kids to be sponsored. And we put it out on the web. But last week alone, just in the services, 82 of the children went, were sponsored. That is awesome. 82 children, their lives have been completely changed because of a church says, it's better to give than to receive. That's just who we are. I don't know if you know this, we used to have three vans, 15 passenger vans, and we decided that we're gonna get rid of those things. Now, some of you might be going, oh, what are we gonna do? Watch this. I would rather have 100 people in our church who, who would say, listen, if anybody needs a ride, I'll do it, rather than having a couple drivers who just drive vans. I want all the church involved. And so we decided that let's not sell them, let's just give them away. So we gave one to the Boys and Girls Club and we gave the other to St. Francis House. Just gifted them. And they were overwhelmed. Overwhelmed. But I love being that church. How can we just bless? That's what we do. See, I want to be a church that just ties. We make that one decision and then I've given you all the principles how to manage each and every day, that one decision. We just do it. Listen to this carefully. God said it, we do that. And when we do that, have you ever let your imagination just, just go? Like if everybody in our church made that one decision, we're just going to be a, a group of people, uh, a community of believers that looks at eternity. We could literally, are you ready for this? We could drill a well every week, 52 wells a year, which would give drinking water to tens of thousands of people if we just be that church. That one decision, the things that we could be a part of, that fires me up. What's going through your mind? Well, I always thought with um, tithing, there's that passage that talks about when you tithe and then there'll be showers of blessings. I always thought it would be like money. Like if I tithe, then I'll just have money come in from all these places that I didn't know. And sometimes that happens, but sometimes it's even greater than money. It's other kinds of blessings. And it could even be a heart change and a mind change within myself. But either way, it's blessed and I remember also with the um, World Hope child. It was years ago we were, um, had somebody here from World Hope too, and, and there were children to sponsor at that time. And we really didn't have the money or we didn't think we had the money to do it. But we were like, okay, we'll just do it. And as we've been tithing too and and sponsoring that child. I mean, we've always had enough to make the payment for that child. We've always had enough to make every payment that we've needed to make and also provide for whatever we need to provide for. So God keeps his promises. When God promises that whatever we give, it'll be given back, but pressed down, overflowing. That's the stuff you're talking about. Man, if we as a people would be true to what God says, he says, test me, try me, see if I won't pour it out. What we could do as a church family in the community, in the region, in the world. You know, Reed, you said something that I want to close with that I think is so important. One of the great errors in the evangelical church in this country is individualizing the promises of Scripture. I don't believe that God promised to bless your finances individually. God's blessings come to his church, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, collectively. When he said, I will open up the storehouses of heaven and flood, he doesn't say that individually. He's talking to his people as a whole. Now, think about it this way. If it's individualized, well, now God is blessing a part of the body, not the body as a whole. And how awkward would your life look right now if he just blessed your right foot and you have a five-foot foot that you drag around, okay? But the rest of your body 
is shriveling up and dying. Sure. Mm-hmm. See, God said, bring the tithe to the storehouse, to the bride, the body of Christ, and watch what I can do. See, the joy of the blessing is being a part of the body of Christ, the living church of God, not living out individually as a Christian. And if we would learn that, now we understand the I can't say the foot, I don't need you. We all need each other. And so the tithe, it isn't about the amount that you make. You might make only $1,000 and that's $100 or someone has a million and that's 100000 But collectively together, God does this supernatural work and the blessings overflow and the bride of Christ is glorified. Amen, Amen to that? Amen. Yeah. Amen. And so that's what God calls us to be, obedient as our part of the bride. And by doing so, together, God does something supernatural that's awesome. That's what gets me excited. That gets me excited. Let me pray for you. Father, this is a subject that can be quite sensitive sometimes. We start talking about money and all of a sudden we find ourselves pushing away or, or find ourselves, uh, if we will, being riddled with guilt. And maybe the reason for that is, is because we like it more than we should or we've allowed it a place in our heart that we shouldn't have. But God, first of all, your grace is always sufficient. It's always good. And that God, even though we may not be at a healthy place right now, we can be by starting today with the principles that you've given us, the principles that you set forth. God, when we do this, things begin to happen. The wonderment of God, the miracles, and the blessings that start happening in our finances, it's crazy. God, forgive us when we see money as evil. It's not. It's what we do with it that makes it evil or makes it righteous, makes it eternal. And so, God, I pray that we all make that one decision. We're going to tithe. God said it. That's what the Bible says in Deuteronomy. The purpose of tithing is to put God first in our lives. And then when God is first, things begin to change. Unbelievable health begins to follow. God, I love the line, make all the money we want. There's just biblical qualifications that we need to set forth that when we do, we're doing it God's way. God, thank you in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past messages. And if you like what you're hearing, consider rating it and even sharing it with your friends. It helps so much. You know, you can click the share button, take a screenshot and share it on your social stories and tag us at Celebrate Church. For more content from Celebrate and to connect with us, go to celebrate.church. We love you and we believe in you. God bless. God bless.